consider it a great joy to be able to bring you another lesson today. I hope that it is edifying and faith-building for you. I'd like to focus our attention, what we have in time past, on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Today, our attention will be directed specifically to verses 23 through 28, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. It's our intention to speak only where the Bible speaks. Again, probably will not be teaching anything that is new. Remember what the Apostle Peter said, that he will not be negligent to remind you, talking to the Christians in, those, in that day, of the things which you already know, that you are established in. I think it is right, he continues, to stir you up by reminding you. Moreover, in verse 15, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my seats. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. As we consider the Lord's Supper, the communion as it is often called, it becomes especially important because if it's properly observed, it fulfills all of the necessary elements of worship except singing and the collection. We want to know how to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's our desire to know what does the Lord say. We must regularly remind ourselves that only God is great. Human self-centered worship that pleases us is not what we should seek. Remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well near Sychar in Samaria in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Jesus says the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The focus in the word of God is on true, true worshipers, and God distinguishes true worshipers from false worshipers. I realize that many may not like this distinction, but this is what the word of God teaches. We simply must give God what he has commanded and nothing else. Now, this concept is emphasized over and over in both Testaments, Old and New, but I'd like to consider just one passage in the Old Testament to remind us of how God viewed incorrect will worship in those days. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, many of us will be familiar with this story. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. Each of them were priests, and they took their censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane fire to the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. I can only imagine... Aaron's shock and dismay, his uh, emotional temperament must have been on a roller coaster that day when he realized that his sons had been burnt by fire from God and killed and such. God must be regarded as holy, keep that in mind, and he must be glorified. We conclude in the New Testament based on what we read in the Apostles' writings, 
that all activity that we do must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul instructs us, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Remember what we said about will worship? The International Standard in Bible Encyclopedia explains the meaning of this will worship phrase as worship originating in the human will opposed to divine arbitrary religious acts and is worthless. Did you catch that? It is worthless despite its difficulty of performance. More simply, we cannot devise our own way to worship and gain acceptance to God. The Apostle Paul again has something to say. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. We can be thankful today that the Lord is not like pagan deities who do not reveal to man, their worshipers, what they desire. But our God, Jehovah God, the Lord God, has not left man stumbling and groping in darkness, hoping against hope to please him by accident. He has left, left us a written word, translated correctly in our language, which when correctly rendered, leaves us knowing what the Almighty God wants us to do. We can find book, chapter, and verse for our practice, and if we cannot, we need to disavow our practice. We can stand on a thus saith the Lord and we can prove all things and hold fast to that which is good first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 let's look at our text now first Corinthians 11 verse 23 the apostle Paul begins with the phrase for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you Paul is consistent in his claim to be faithful in delivering the word of the Lord just like he received it from God Later in this letter, in 1 Corinthians, he, as he was making concluding arguments for the gospel, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. If we believe Paul's account for the gospel is correct, then we must believe his account for the Lord's Supper is correct too. Also, we see in Galatians, after laying uh, accusation against the churches of Galatia, he explained to the brethren there that the gospel that they had so quickly left did not originate with him, but came directly from the Lord. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The point of fact is that Paul did not originate his doctrine. Not one point of his doctrine was original with him. Now, if we've had such a notion previously, we should get rid of it here and now. The things that Paul wrote were not his idea. They were given to him from God. We can rest assured that Paul received his information regarding the Lord's Supper directly from the Father. The second phrase in verse 23 tells us that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. This gives us the time frame for the establishment of this memorial. This displays, too, the two links of the chain of revelation, reception and deliverance. Paul received from the Lord, 
And now he's delivering it to the Corinthians and to us about partaking of the bread, about the Lord's Supper, the communion. This is the first of several steps that we'll talk about momentarily. I want you to keep in mind that the purpose of the letter, of, of this part of the letter of Cor to Corinth, was to correct a problem in Corinth. What we're studying is to recall and to refresh. It's our intention to be positive in that effort. I want to discover what the scripture says so that if we know the real, when we see the false, we'll know that it's false. We'll forsake it and cling to the real. You see, the Corinthian problem in this case was in the assembly. In the space of the last 18 verses of chapter 11, the Apostle Paul mentions the act of coming together five times. It is an important concept. This is an expression of unity. The breaking of bread demonstrates this like nothing else in our assembly. The nature and means of our unity are symbolized when we eat the bread. Because there is one loaf, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. We each partake from the same loaf because we are each part of the same body, the body of Christ. The term took bread is reference to eating the bread. Not to break it for somebody else or simply to pray for it, but to eat a portion of it. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks. This is the second step. Jesus gave thanks for the bread. Mark and Matthew say that he blessed it. The idea presented is exactly the same thing. This refers to the act of consecration. In this manner, Jesus continued being the great example for us, knowing full well the pain and suffering this memorial was set into motion for him. He instructed his followers, even us, to partake of the loaf. Remember Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Uh, for Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Second phrase in verse 24, He break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. So first he has given thanks for the bread. Now he has broken the bread. This is the third step. I want you to notice the singularity of the phrase. He broke it to eat a piece of it. This is a little bit of history that necessary here. Paul was in Ephesus while he was writing this to the Corinthians. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17 refers to the cup and the bread relating to our unity. There the apostle says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. See the unity? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The language in both verses 10, 16, and 11, 24 teach unity in autonomous congregations in the brotherhood, as well as teaching that there's one unbroken loaf which is passed to each Christian assembled who breaks his or her own peace. Take, eat. This forms the fourth step in this observance. Takes the form of a command. If one were to compare the account of this supper found in the Gospel of Mark, 
one would find that each disciple did exactly that. Each account reveals something additional, not contradictory, complementary. Look very quickly at Mark's record. Uh, Mark's testimony in Mark 14, verse 22 through 24. As they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks and he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And they said to him, and he said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Did you see? Mark's recording from Peter's memory, apparently. They all partook. They all drank from it. The next phrase in verse 24 is, which is broken for you. We become so caught up oftentimes in wrangling over the cup that we overlook the importance of the bread. Pay careful attention to this last phrase. See it as coupled or married to the former. This is my body, which is broken for you. The Lord's body was broken for us to pay a ransom for our sin. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 25. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The cup is the New Testament in my blood. This is the same cup mentioned in the first phrase of this verse and refers to the cup that contains the fruit of the vine. So Jesus is saying the cup containing the fruit of the vine is the New Testament in his blood. Just as the bread represents the body of Christ, the cup containing the fruit of the vine represents the New Testament. The expression, in my blood, means sealed by his blood. The New Testament, which opens the door for all people, was made possible by the shedding of Jesus' blood. That's why an empty cup is nothing. That's why the fruit of the vine is not the subject under consideration when the Lord's Supper is spoken of. Many, if not most, consider that there are only two elements on the table. And I remember that I had thought I had discovered something new when I figured out that there were actually three. I was excited to show the brethren at the congregation where I attended at the time, and their response was rather dry and disappointing. They said, I'm glad that you finally got it. You see, there are three elements on the table. Only three, no more, and no less. The bread symbolizes his body that was broken for us. The cup is the New Testament in his blood, or made effectual by his blood. The fruit of the vine symbolizes his blood, which seals or makes effective the New Testament. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Basically, Jesus says, do this just like I have instructed you in remembrance of me. Again, we can thank God that we're not left in the dark concerning this practice we can know the words do this do or do this means follow this example not as often as you like or when it's convenient but every time that you commune this included the whole action the taking the blessing the passing the cup the bread the fruit of the vine and may god help us to remember and to understand this verse 26 as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. As often does not indicate desire, but obligation. For if taken on any day other than the Lord's day in the assembly of the congregation, notice the day and the framework, it's just a common meal. 
for us Americans, for most of us, it's a light refreshment. In Acts 20 and verse 7, we read, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them. The bread mentioned here is the same bread spoken of in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-24, which the assembled disciples shared. You show the Lord's death. This phrase is not is the preaching part of the Lord's Supper. This is the teaching part of the Lord's Supper. Till he come. Further, when we take partake of this memorial, we proclaim the return of the king. Recall, if you will, the angel's words when the Lord ascended back to the Father's right hand. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. We believe and teach that Jesus will come back in some manner, not secretly, but in the clouds. Now when he comes, again, in the clouds, the Lord's Supper will end. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. The Old King James Version says unworthily instead of unworthy manner. It means the same thing. Unworthy manner has to do with the way that one eats the bread or drinks the cup. This warning is against making mockery of the Lord's Supper and doing it the way that we want to, whatever is convenient, or shall I say it, safe for us. It in no way implies that some are worthy and some are not. The idea of worthy or unworthy is not under consideration. The word is actually an adverb. And if you recall your sixth grade grammar, an adverb describes the action of a verb. The word is not describing the state of the Corinthian Christians. Rather, it's describing the action of the Corinthian Christians. These folks were simply not having joint participation or common union with each other. Remember, they had come together for the worse, and they despised each other because of their actions in the Lord's Supper. Verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In order for Christians to not eat and drink unworthily, Paul says, Let a man examine himself. This is self-examination, not examination by others. Now, I want to be very, very careful here. We've talked just a little about this in the first part of this three-part lesson. This is not an examination for sin. The context in the chapter does not permit it. It permits an examination of our own self to see if our mind is in order. I know I don't want to pick any fights, but this is a very dangerous doctrine that has begun to creep in among us. We are to examine ourselves for sin, but the Lord's Supper is not the time. Too often I've heard well-meaning brethren say, I cannot or I could not partake today because of sin in my life. Brother, the answer is to repent. Don't add another sin. Two wrongs do not make a right. In verse 27, the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul, speaks of this memorial being possibly partaken of unworthily. 
How can I reason with my multi-cup brother that this applies to the form of his emblems and not with myself, that it applies to the form of my mind? In our examination, we're to learn to disciple our mind and attention to focus on the Lord, on his death, on his suffering, on his resurrection, his victory. And if at any other time we shut out the cares of this life, it must be during this time. The purpose of the lesson was to impact our priority of the Lord's Supper. I pray that it has done so, that it's lifted it up from the common, mundane, casual way that sometimes we as human beings slip into. May God bless you. Until next time.